Well, welcome to Unplugged, uh, reflecting back on the final round of the season. We rounded out the year with a tense victory. There is always something slightly nice about at least getting to a double-figure win season. It kind of feels like you're a little bit closer, but for whatever reason, the difference between being 10 and 12 and, and 9 and 13 makes you feel a fair bit closer to the, the mark. We missed the finals by a game and percentage, which was a lot of percentage, it must be said, probably 200 points worth or, or thereabouts. But... um. Even if we have beaten Geelong the week before, we still would have missed the eight based on the way results went, uh, unfortunately, for us. So we needed two wins in order to get in. But look, a pleasing finish. I know a lot of Saints fans text me in frustration after the game, thinking now we beat someone by 10 goals and that looked easy and comfortable. Where was that? But it's far better than the alternative. You don't want to get beaten in a game like that, be down in the doldrums and sort of slump into the off-season thinking, geez, we're stuffed. But um, at least it gives you a bit of that spark going into the uh, the, the new year. There was a, a lot to like out of it, kicking 17 goals without Max King. Obviously, Sharman kicks four, looked really impressive. Uh, Bytel getting some significant minutes and kicking a couple of goals looked good. Even Burns came on as a sub late and, and gave a little bit of spark, but uh, there was a, enough to like out of the performance. Um, ultimately, in a disappointing year, we'll get to the year a little bit later on. Uh, we'll be joined by Rodney Eade shortly as well, who coached Cooper Sharman at Baldwin. We know Rodney Eade for his illustrious AFL career as a player and a coach and, and not St Kilda related, but um, but part of that journey for Cooper Sharman and also Daniel Cherney, St Kilda supporter and age football writer, will help us with our season review a bit later on in the piece. But uh, Nick, your um, summation of, of that, it was a, a pretty comfortable day. It's easy to say because there was nothing on the line, but it looked to me about 15 minutes into the game that it didn't look conceivable that we would lose. Yeah, it was kind of one of those you know, no stress type afternoons, wasn't it? It was, and and you're right that there there, it, it was better than the alternative. You know, we would have loved to have been playing for for something. You know, f- to have the motivation to to sneak a spot in the finals, or you know, looking at a top four spot or whatever that looks like. It's obviously it's better to have that motivation, but but in lieu of that, you know, you still want to come out and 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 give four quarters of of good strong footy. Um, I, I'm sure every player and coach would say that they would much prefer to go into a new preseason having having had a strong win and um you know having had all the the positives that that come along with that is it frustrating that we couldn't do that for more of the season uh, of course and we'll talk about that a, a little bit later on I'm sure but um you know for a game that meant nothing it was nice to to finish on a high um you know we we had some decent wins throughout the year uh but we never really put a team away, and and so that was that was nice um, to 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 see that, you know, even if it, if it didn't mean a, a whole lot. I think for for us just watching the game, it was nice to to see that we still had it in us, and and it's not like you know the Dockers had nothing to play for. You know, they were playing for a for their season essentially. They were playing for a spot in the finals, um, and so for them it was a very meaningful game, and and you know for us to be able to shape in in one way or another the the, the shape of. of the finals was was good to, to have a say in it, even if we're not going to be there this week. Um, but you know, all in all, it was it was nice to get a win. It's good to see a few of those those young kids again. Bytel got a bit of the ball. Sharman obviously had an impact, as, as we know, um, and just kind of continued on that on that theme as as we have been, you know, for for the second half of this season in getting some some miles in the legs of, of those kids. Hey, uh, what did you you make of it? I mean, Fremantle were playing for their season, but didn't look like it, to be honest. Yeah, it's a sort of performance that you think, well, 
how come we couldn't have put that up against Adelaide? How come we couldn't have put that up against Carlton and sort of think, well, but if that's what we can do, then that's what we kind of want to start expecting a bit more. Um, it, it, it's just, I mean, I wouldn't say Frio were at their peak. I mean, yes, they were playing for a finals, but they just, but they just seemed to be a, a meter behind us all day. So uh, just having the control in a game and making a team chase us all day, that's what we want to see. We want to be able to finish off a game. I mean, we had the Collingwood game, we had the North Melbourne game where we led comfortably, but they came back. We still won, but they came back at us and it was a, a small win in the end kind of thing. So to finish off a game, is it a good thing? To finish the season off, I guess, with a win, great. But we've got to take that into next year and go, that's that's where we're going to start from. That's That's the sort of football we have to play. We can't have any more of these 100-point losses, 80-point losses, 90-point losses. We get those, then, yeah, the, the, a good win like on the weekend sort of becomes pointless when you look at it in the in all in all. So, it, well, it's a good win. Yeah, it, it just sort of caps off the season. You go, well, it, it's, it's a little bit of a waste in the end, though. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the reality is we recovered after a horrific start to the year and we recovered quite well, but we just had too much work to do. And there were a lot of key moments. We probably killed our season in the Carlton loss realistically. But um, look, there was we were two wins short and you can take your pick on the wins. We should have beaten Adelaide without a shadow of a doubt. Um, we should have beaten Geelong probably one of the two times we played them. We absolutely should have beaten Port Adelaide the way we were finishing that game. Um, Sydney. Sydney in Sydney, we had obviously three shots to hit the front in a minute in the last two minutes of the game. Um, that's not to guarantee they wouldn't have scored again, but we at least should have hit the front with a minute to go and probably win. Um, yeah, and there were other little opportunities along the way. The West Coast game, the second time, if Rowan Marshall gets an Uber instead of getting a beer at the precinct, we, we win that game, I would think, um, based on the balance of it. But look, a lot of that in our season review a bit later on, but... Yeah, a good spread of, across the board from a, a number of players. I think Membry's finish was was good to the year, and, and obviously Bytel was was lively. Good for Butler to get a couple, which hopefully gives him some confidence going into the year. Mackenzie played well again. Dean Kent actually played, kicked two goals from outside fifty on the run with the wind, and um, Higgins was was pretty good again too. So there was a lot to like out of it, and. I guess from a votes point of view, we know who's going to win this award. But um, H, uh, in terms of your three, two, and one for the final game, how did you see it? I think we knew we had a winner at round ten. So, um, yeah, I had a little bit of a thought. I think over this game, there was a few that I was like, oh, I could sneak in for one. I could possibly take it here. There was a sort of no one. You went. They didn't play the play their game that they were sent out to do. The, it, it, I mean, obviously Hill would probably be the only one you'd go, well, he's probably not going to get a vote because he went off injured or um, Bytel as a sub probably wasn't going to get... Uh, Bytel as a sub, Burns, wasn't he? Burns. Ah, Burns, Burns sorry. So. Um, that's what I meant. Um, he wasn't going to get one coming on as a sub. So it's... Um, you're pretty much down to 21 and then, yeah, it's, it, it, it wasn't... That was probably one of the hardest ones of the year, to be honest. So, um, 
but I ended up giving gave one to Marshall. Just it was an all all over ground effort on the weekend. He his ruck work wasn't the best thing he did when you look at it. He out of the four ruckmen on the ground, he had the least amount of hit out, mm. which it, it's the last couple of weeks. It, his rucking hasn't exactly been his strength, it seems. But around the ground is where he really picked up in this game. Um, he played that supporting ruck role, but he sort of played it to Hunter, which is not really what he's going to be doing when going ahead. Um I hope next year you hope next year that him and Paddy are in tandem and he does a lot more of that. But yeah, I, I'm I'm wondering whether he's got a bit tired towards the end of the season and he's because I mean he was getting plenty of hit outs early on, but yeah, he just seems to have dropped off there. But yeah, at least around the ground he still provided us provided us quite a lot. So I was happy with that. Um two to Cooper Sharman. Oh, what a game. I the I think it was on, I think, Ryan for a bit. And um, he obviously took the number one on defender well. at any yeah. Yeah, yeah, took the number one defender at any time, at any point that he was down there. So to kick four in your fourth game, um, yeah, it's, he just showed something that, like, there's, there's no wonder that we snapped him up in the mid-season draft. The, you had to a player like that. If you've got him sitting out playing state footy or country footy, and you've got to take him, and I think we've done that to ensure that no one else could take him in the in the national draft. It's it's been a, an amazing find, and he, he's gonna he, he's gonna sit in our forward line for years to come now. Um, and same as Max Heath. I mean, Max Heath was top twenty in the uh, in the national mm-hmm. draft if we didn't take him. So, um, yeah, yeah that was smart. Yeah, and three two. I, I obviously Jack Steele. Um, another. I I think we get tired of talking about him. That's it's um, yeah, just a workman like does does everything that possible to try to get the team over the line and. Um, yeah, just he had one one tackle taken off him after the match that put him one behind um, the the record tackles for a home and away season, which was a bit of a downer after we'd be like, oh, okay, he, he's drawn level with with it. So, um, yeah, then we got news the next day they took one off. So, we'll, so it's nice. a bit of a, a little bit of a disappointment, but yeah, so second most tackles in a home and away season ever. So, bloke who runs uh, champion data is a St Kilda supporter too, so that's outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nick, how did you see it? Um, yeah, pretty, pretty similar. I, I had um, honorable mentions to Tim Membry, uh, to Brad Crouch, and um, Rowan Marshall, I thought was an interesting one because I thought it was, I thought he was good. Um, but I thought it was pretty clear that his opponent was not even on one leg. He was, he was fairly hobbled, and I think they just tried to keep him on, you know, on the odd chance that they might be able to snag a couple. And and, and your uh, other ruckman wasn't much good. Yeah, well, that's right. That's <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, I, I thought Marshall was good, and and that sort of game, I think any other week probably gets him in the votes. But 
um, for mine just just uh, was a tad behind. And I think, like you said, H, he, he has looked a, a bit tired or sluggish over the last you know, couple of weeks. And, and whether it's you know been the, the long the longer season, longer games, um, you know, off sometimes rocking rocking on in, on his own, and, and obviously had a couple of niggles and and injuries and that sort of stuff. It's, it's it seems like it's been a tough season for him, and and I think he'd be looking forward to this uh, this off season a fair bit. But I gave one vote to, to Cooper Sharman. Um, just ha- has kept improving week after week. And, and you're right, he, he looks like he's just settled and so comfortable at the level, which is amazing given, you know, 12 weeks ago or f- 14 weeks ago, I was playing Sandful Reserves, um, w- which is an amazing turnaround and, and, and an amazing um, growth or development from from a kid to, to be, you know, starting forward um, at, at a team that really, you're know, at their best uh, are an AFL finals team. Um, whether or not he he has that opportunity, if if you know we don't have the injuries that we had this year or not, is is yet to be seen. But um, you know he's clearly clearly comfortable at the level. He's clearly got talent um, and the ability to play at this level. And and from now it's really about continuing that development and fitness and strength and and all those things. But I mean he looks a real fine, like like you said, and and looks like he'll be comfortable at, at this level for for years to come. Uh, I gave two to Zach Jones. I thought. He gave us something else in the middle. I thought his his speed around the ball. He was still able to to you know get get in under and, and get dirty and win the hard ball. But his speed around the contest was was just something that that we haven't had for a lot of the year. And um, you know, he he's a, a point of difference in our midfield to to so many others that seem one paced. And and even Jack Steele, as good as he is, he, he's not a quick midfielder. He's not a fast runner. He, he he can move well, but he's not a he's not a quick mid by any any stretch. So. Zach Jones just offers us something you know, completely different, especially with with Gresham out. And I thought he was a real impact player for us in the middle. And Jack Steele, three votes in the Jack Steele award. Um, yeah, I don't think we need to say too much more about that. But another thirty six touches, and he's just just you know so so Lenny Hayes like, and gets more Lenny like each week. And if anything, I know Lenny's still got the nod at this point, but he probably kicks more goals, Jack. I was going to say, say that's the added the um, added string to the bow. Is it at, yeah. offensively? I think he's he's better than Lenny Hayes. Um, yeah. You know, over the journey, Lenny was elite for a decade. Yeah, and, and his pure silk in traffic Hayes was Absolutely. almost the best I've ever seen. Um, but yeah, Jack's Jack's the closest thing we've had to that player um, in a long time, um, or ever really, uh, in in many respects, and. Um, yeah, it's, it's not enough superlatives, really. But, yeah, I gave basically the same votes as, as HH. I gave a vote to uh, Rowan Marshall. I agree with what was said. I, apologies to, to Crouch, Jones, Membry for mine. I thought Webster was very good as well. And I really like Jack Higgins' game and, and even his input this season. I think he's been really good, uh, Jack Higgins. He had that one memorable day in Sydney where it didn't go to plan for him, but he's played well nearly every time, I reckon, anyway. Um if, if he kicks if if he yeah. kicks three three that game instead of one five, he's best on ground. Win. Exactly. He's had twenty yeah, he was he was the best player on the ground. Yeah. He just didn't convert at the end. So Yeah. I think he's had a really good year if you look at his, his numbers and mm-hmm. I'm happy with, with what he's brought to the table. But um uh, he, he was unlucky to get on the weekend. I don't know the numbers offhand, but he would have had 22 or 23 and, and kicked a goal. I kicked two goals in actual fact. Kicked the first goal of the game and the first goal of the second half, both of which were important, both against the wind and both sort of set us on our path. Um, 
I gave a vote to, to Marshall for his impact around the ground, uh, kicked a couple of goals late, and that's the type of role we want him to play. And, and credit to Hunter, he, he helped him play that role, admittedly, with some banged-up opposition. Um, you know, Ryder would be more dominant, clearly, uh, and could also do what Marshall does and go forward. But Marshall did the job, and, and Hunter supported him in that role. Uh, enough, so Marshall gets a vote. Sharman gets two. Um, just various aspects. The first goal he kicked... Uh, was, was telling, but also the little pass inboard to Higgins was clever. That the, the big mark he took fourth in line in the second quarter, and then his judgment for the marks in the third term, and then running onto space to get that goal in the last. And, and yeah, Jack Steele gets the three. That was our best player, and, and has been our best player. And uh, I'm not sure if it's, which one of you has got the the, the the full leaderboard. We do know that one, but uh, do we call it the the, the Jack Steele Award? going forward officially or do we give it a different sort of name he's the he's the one of the first two official ones that we've done in yeah. 2020 and 2021 do we give every subsequent winner of this award a, a jack steel stubby holder or a photo or something like that do we do we make a jack steel award or do we come up with a, a memorial shield like the he's harvey or the caviar <laughs> race in a race named after her while she was still running. Yeah. So I guess yes. that is a possibility for, yes. for, for, for Jack. But, yeah. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because the Winks won we the Winks while the, she was still running. We so. called it the Unplugged MVP last year, and that's kind of what the basis was um, in, in mm. the first half of this season. But it was pretty clear, I think, um, like you said, H, that, that we knew who was going to win it after about round nine or ten, mm. um, and it just became the Jack Steele. I'm happy to call it the Jack Steele Award. He's the inaugural yeah. and consecutive Winner of the award, so I'm happy to call it the, the Jack Steele Award if you guys are. Well, yeah, maybe it's awarded to awarded to whoever comes second. <laughs> yeah, perhaps, that, perhaps that. we've got to come up with either a trophy or a stubby holder or something, and it is a, a picture of Jack Steele or something. So I'm sure they'd appreciate the humour in that. Like if next year, for example, um, I don't know, hypothetically, Rowan Marshall won it or something like that, you could give him. I know they're good mates, but you could give him a picture of Jack Steele or a stubby holder or something. <laughs> I'm sure they'd have a chuckle. It'd be pretty funny. That we could get that to him via Claire and the and the team at the club, I'm sure. But um, it's going to take a little bit get him off him, I think. So who who are our uh, podium finishes? I mean, Jack Steele's won by 100 votes, I think. But um, who've uh, who's come second and third? Uh, well, yeah, it was it was literally 100 votes. There you um, go. <laughs> so, but just ran round down from oh from top ten, just running backwards. So Brad Hill, Dougal Howard, Max King. Rowan Marshall, Tim Membry, Luke Dunstan, Zach Jones in third on 23 votes. We've got Jack Sinclair. Mm-hmm. Second with 35 votes, we've got Brad Crouch. And on 135 votes, <laughs> Jack Steele. <laughs> uh, so, um... the, well, breaking it down, we had he polled in 19 matches. Best on ground eight times with perfect votes. Uh, sorry, best on ground 12 times with perfect votes eight times. So <laughs> it's yeah, an absolute whitewash when you look at it that way. But um, yeah, we had a couple of players. Um, Crouch took two best on grounds, Dunson two best on grounds, and had uh, was it six other players got perfect votes one other time during the year as well. So I mean, the votes were spread around, but I... I I think I calculated that out earlier and the next um what was it the next sixth from second to sixth position or second to um seventh position lost to steel by one vote. 
So <laughs> it was, yeah, he, he definitely dominated it. I'm almost certain he didn't poll in round one either. So he's polled in 19 no. of the last 21 games. Uh, I remember he got the memory got perfect votes. I think. He yeah, I think that day Steele had 17 at half time, but finished up with 21 or something. He was actually held in the second half, and mm. somehow we won that game without him having an influence and 11 other guys injured. And we thought at that stage we were in for a pretty good year, but um, came a bit unstuck after that. But um. Despite Jack Steele being the greatest player of all time, he, he didn't make the All-Australian midfield, sadly. But um, I would have thought he had... A, these guys had great years, um, but you always got to take someone out to put someone in. Jack McRae and Zach Merritt had great years, unquestionably so. But Jack Steele had a better year than both of them, also mm. without question. Um, no issues, Clayton Oliver. No issues, Sam Walsh. Um, no issues, Ollie Wines, who may well win the Brownlow. But... Um, I thought he, he he shaded certainly. Merritt was great, but Parrish, for example, was better at Essendon, I thought. I mean, Merritt was terrific. Um, and McRae, elite ball winner, no doubt. But, um, yeah. Steel's more dynamic. Sure yeah, Steel didn't have a better McRae. year, then I'd be surprised um, about yeah. that. And, and, you know, Tuke Miller and a few others were, were a bit stiff too. But So that was the, the MVP to... Uh, the guy that polled prominently in that last game and, and looks like he'll have a, a pretty good time for us is Cooper Sharman. It's only four games in. We thought we just, uh, a lot of people might not know a lot about Cooper. I certainly didn't know a lot about him when he came to the club in the middle of the year. You don't expect much from those players. You assume they're, they're long-term development options that you'll see a bit in the future. But he gave us something to really like. Uh, we haven't had a player, I guess, impact that early in their career in over a patch of a month in the manner with which he has. So we thought we'd go back to his one of his first development coaches at Baldwin in a man who's done a lot of coaching, Rodney Eade. And a path is clear. He legs it through the centre. Two bounces, Butler. He cricks it across to Sharman. He's going to go in for another one. Here's the greatest Sharman. Well, Rodney was a premiership player with the Hawks, also represented Brisbane for a time. Most recently coached the Gold Coast Suns, but before that was a drought-breaking grand final coach of Sydney in 1996 and led the Western Bulldogs into three consecutive preliminary finals in 8, 9 and 10. But most recently as well, coach of the Baldwin Football Club in Melbourne's East, which included an emerging player by the name of Cooper Sharman, who burst onto the scene over the last month of the season, kicking 10 goals, including four against Fremantle in the last game, in which he was one of the unluckiest players in history not to receive a Rising Star nomination on the back of that effort. But Rodney, thanks very much for uh, for giving us some time. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, guys. Good to be here. Now, starting off with, with Cooper, I guess your first impressions back in the day, you would have had him as a teenager. And um, did you know at that point that he was going to do what he did? And, and, and what was his development like as a young player? Yeah, he um, well, he just lobbed on the lobbed on our doorstep. Probably we'd already done a bit of pre-season before Christmas, and then starting the January, probably lobbed towards the end of January. He's obviously from Leeton, and he came down to uni at Deakin Uni. And one of our more experienced players was from Leeton and played in a premiership with his dad at Leeton. So um, Cooper came down, and and Liam Fraser said, "Oh, listen, come play with us." So he just lobbed really quiet lad. Uh, didn't know didn't know anything about him, um, and then you could just tell on the training track. All, all of us said, "Oh, this kid's got something." Um, obviously, you know, there's another level we're at, a fair bit low below AFL level. Um, and then we played him. F- practice matches started in the seconds, um, dominated, 
Um, played a couple of senior practice matches and started in round one against a very good side. And uh, against a player um, who ended up being probably the best player in the competition who played the premiership at Box Hill and was the most contested marks in the VFL that particular year was... Um, and now he's gone to the pine the waffle and Cooper outmarked him a couple of times. And we're going, oh, this kid's got a, he's got something. And uh, so he, his progression was slow. He's, his raw talent was exceptional, but he's a very quiet lad, um, very compliant, probably too compliant. You know, so, you know, very respectful, do the right thing. Um, so didn't do a lot. He, you know, he's got a, had a lot of areas to work on, especially in the athletic department. Like he naturally athletic, but never. Been able to, uh, I would say, got fit. Uh, the running patterns, our grounds are smaller. So he'd get eight or nine possessions. Um, but he'd take it, do something special every now and then. One game he he, he highlighted and kicked about four. Uh, but you could tell he no, he had something. So I um, I phoned a couple of clubs, actually. I phoned a couple of AFL clubs. I won't say who they were, but people I knew. And then I spoke to a, so that was the the main recruiting guy, that, those particular clubs. And I spoke to a mate of mine who was just a recruiting guy. And um, we had a few phone calls and um, Oakley Chargers, we'd spoken to them. And so they asked him to go along and he played. He played the, the last third of the year at Oakley. But this compliance, I think, uh, and I'm surprised, sorry, surprising that clubs didn't take him as a rookie. I, I couldn't believe because it's supposed to be a futures market. And I could just see there's so much upside in because he's never had the development. He's never had training in an elite system ever. Um, and but I think going into Oakley Chargers, they had Raoul and Anderson, uh, but more so Jamara. And I feel he was pushed at, pushed to the side, and he was so compliant that he most kids have got a fair bit of confidence. He's got enough confidence, but would just take the game. Well, he didn't. He just got out of the way for Jamara. But every now and then, apparently, he did some really special things. And I I've got a feeling the AFL clubs looked at more about what he couldn't do rather than what he could do. And I always have the analogy: if he was an Irish kid. Clubs would have been doing handstands and backflips over it. Like he, he could kick, apart from kicking goals, his field kick, most guys who are good goal kickers aren't the best field kickers. Plugger's an exception. Plugger was an exception, exceptional field kick, but Cooper's a really good field kick. Got high footy IQ, reads the game really well. Like that pass last week to Jack Higgins was, uh, it was a little bit loopy, but he's, he's a vision to see that. Um, and uh, I, I couldn't believe they. Clubs wouldn't have taken the punt on him as a rookie because there's so much upside. So um, then in 20, he was going to play Coburg. Uh, he didn't get drafted. Then the season got wiped out. Then he went to Adelaide. Um, I think Woodville West Torrance, one of the guys, that, that one of the coaches, I think, was from Leeton uh, from that way. So he went there but got injured early, started in the second. So he hadn't done a lot. And I think your recruiting managers from Adelaide, isn't Gallagher, is from Adelaide. So he must have had Intel over there and and a lot and, and I think full credit to St Kilda they took him and I think he, what you're seeing now is only the only a tip of the iceberg I think he become a really good player. Rocket, you, you talk about his upside, but what what does his ceiling actually look like? Does he remind you of anyone in particular that you either played with or against or coached uh, against or, or coached of? Um, it's a good question. He, he reminds me not as a bigger jump, even though he's got that in a bit of the Jeremy Howe type player, that lean... Now, now we know where Howe's gone to as, as a defender. I don't think Cooper's a defender. I think Cooper's got good... Uh, has got good forward craft. But there was one mark he took at Bournemouth. He he had his feet on the bloke's head 
Like, yeah, you, you, you know, he can do that. Like, Contessa March he took last week were just really well timed, and he jumped in. He's got a good jump, but he's got a bigger jump than that. And I, I think once he gets his uh, a few pre-seasons in a couple of pre-seasons in two men be able to taught the running patterns and the second efforts and things like that that I uh, are judged uh, greatly at AFL level. And I've, I've got I've got a feeling maybe the recruiters judged him on that. And I don't think you should. You should judge him on what he could do and then be able to develop that. And so he reminds me of he'll be that third tall forward for a while. Um, I know he played full forward a bit at the weekend, but with a view that maybe he can become a key position once he becomes a bit stronger. Now, I was going to actually ask you, do you think that I've heard a few people say they were a little concerned about having oh. him and King and Membry and possibly another tall forward if we pick someone else up, all trying to squeeze into that forward line. He, he moved up onto the wing a few times as well as a bit of a, I guess, a, a chop out of taking the mark and getting it up, up the ground a bit further. Do you think he could play that sort of taller winger as well, if required at times? Yeah, I do. I um, when at ball, and I played him a couple of times on the wing because he didn't run a lot, and you can tell he, he had a big tank. He wasn't super fit, and even though we had small, we were playing on small grounds, but he just had the habits of playing like he did as a seventeen-year-old back at home. Um, I'm just trying to get him to run a bit more, and it was quite surprising. He has got a bit of speed, and I think once he. Learn, he's so compliant, he'll, he'll learn that because he's got some drive in him. And I think just being in that an elite program and they get some Ks into his legs and he could play that uh, hybrid um, forward role that they can get up and around a bit like Jack Gunston did and when he, in his prime. So can mark with the best of them. but And that's probably his best role, I think, because he's lean. Get the memory and King's obviously taller. Um, and he could probably play another guy who's bigger, whether the Ruckman rests there. I think Cooper's quite good on the ground as well. So just don't be judged by his height. I think he's got the ability to, once he learns some running patterns, et cetera, he can play that wing role, that high forward. And I think he'll be exceptional at it because he reads the game really well. How difficult is it from a player's point of view? I mean, you coached, for example, a Bulldogs team that had Barry Hall and a Bulldogs team that didn't have Barry Hall and was a little bit smaller, for example. Mm. Looking at someone like Cooper when Max King was there playing that sort of second or third role versus on the weekend when he wasn't there and he had to play out of the goal square, does it tell you much about a player that, you know, they can adjust from I'm second fiddle to the giant or now he's not there, so I've got to be the main man and the fact that they can adjust to that type of role? Yeah, I, I think, and that comes back to his compliancy. I think mm-hmm. his compliance, he, he probably with Max King now, well, I don't want to get in his way, so he'll play more, you know, he's kicked a couple of goals each of those first three games, which is a great effort. But he's he's had his seven to ten possessions, which is a, a Cooper game. He did that at Baldwin. He did that at Oakley. Now he's doing it at AFL level. So, no, he can do it on his ear. He can go up a gear. So, now um, with King out the weekend, he's he's, he's blossomed that because he, I, I believe his mentality is, oh, well, I have to do it. So, I'm the person um, that's in the, in the main role where what he's got to learn is that he can impact and be able to do things, even if King's there and Membry's there and he's the third wheel, he he can be a, quite a dominant player still. If he if he uh, and I think that'll just come with time and confidence. Once he gets uh, used to the system, used to the coach, used to the players around him, confident with his teammates, confident in his environment, because he's such a respectful lad, and I think he just um, getting that time and. No, that's why I can see the uh, no, the sky's the limit with him, really, that he can really improve in a great way. 
Rocket, going back to your uh, your playing days, you grew up in in Tassie, which is famously a, a bit of a breeding ground for for St Kilda. Yes. What was it like growing up down there? And and did you have kind of St Kilda heroes? Did did the club ever try and recruit you as part of that kind of Tassie influx? No, there was a big Tassie thing. I know growing up, I was a Collingwood supporter, unfortunately, um, you because know, I came from a working class suburb, Glenorchy, which was black and white. And we'll, so, uh, we'll cut that bit out. Yeah, cut that bit out. <laughs> um, but it was very much a St Kilda. Uh, stronghold as support, you know, obviously Bulldog, uh, Verdon Howe before that, um, or at the same time played there, Ian Stewart, I mean, great players, John Bonney then when he came over, there was quite a few great Tassies who went to Melbourne but didn't stay for long. Um, John Bingley played in the Premiership in 66, who was a Tassie legend. So it's a really big uh, Tassie supporter base. Um, so so when I was growing up in, you know, in 71, I remember watching that as a 13-year-old live. Uh, I was battling for St Kilda. I wanted them to win uh, even against the Hawks. I didn't, didn't follow the Hawks. But, um, yeah, so there was uh, a big uh, a big feeling of St Kilda. No, they didn't ever ask me. I played one year of senior footy at Glenorchy um, under Peter Hudson. Um, so Peter, obviously, had spoke spoke to Hawthorne come watch me. And then um, they were the only club that spoke to me. So uh, I was happy to take that opportunity. And going from playing to coaching, um, you left the Dogs in 2011 and Ross Lyon also left the Kilda in 2011. Was there any approach there at any point to what you might be up to the year, next year? Or uh, you no, didn't, 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 no, didn't hear from the Saints at all? No, no, didn't, uh, didn't have any, um, any, uh, any dialogue with them. So, um, uh, so who, who took over from Ross? Was it, was it Scotty Waters? Scotty Waters, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I didn't uh, didn't have any dialogue at all. So has has oh. there ever been any any conversation during multiple times of of coaching change at the club with St Kilda? You mean with St Kilda? Yeah, yeah. No, no, I never had any dialogue at, at, at all over much period of time. There's probably been half a dozen eight clubs, but the Saints haven't been one of them. So. Where do you assess, before we let you go, sort of where they're at at the moment? We're discussing a little bit off there that it's been a frustrating year, but if you were looking at it from a, a list management or a coaching point of view, would you look at it and say, I can see clear upside that, you know, they can return to finals footy. There's only a few things they have to tweak uh, and what perhaps might they be? Yeah, I, I think um, I think probably, I don't know if unfortunate is the right phrase, and I think frustration is pr- probably a good word to use. You knew they have the talent to be able to make the eight. Um, you know, so tight, uh, and they—I haven't followed them closely, but is it fair to say they missed a few games by not kicking accurately as well? Yeah. They, um, they, and people, I remember going to Collingwood when um, first went there as coaching director, and I walked into this meeting, and they were doing their review. And Nathan, Buck, Nathan Buckley put me on the spot, and he's and they're big on stats. He said, "What's the most important stat in football? What do you think the most important stat?" And I said, "Kicking straight for goal." I said, "That's the first thing because if you." And they just looked at me incredulously. Oh, no, it's got to be, and uh, you take the ball from the back 50 to the forward 50 and the percentage of this and the percentage of that. And I said, well, if you get inside 50 enough, if you can kick straight, you can have 15-5, you can win games. Um, if you kick 10-10, you're not going to win. So um, so I think that's an area. If we, and I think that's that, that's true with most teams. If they do that, they would have won a few more games. I think uh, their defence, they introduced some new pl- no-names players, and most of their no-name players have done well. I think uh, they got those uh, five recruits the year before and propelled them up last year for various reasons. A couple of them dropped off, 
but they can come back. Um, I think uh, their midfield, they need some support for Steele in there. I think probably a good midfielder. Crouch has been okay, but Steele was not quick either. They probably just need a speed around the ball. Um, mm. And uh, defensively, defensively, they've done well with the no-names, but if they could get a... Obviously, the rucks, Marshall can stay fit. It's a bonus for them, boys. And um, just that another key defender, that stronger type who can play there, where the battle can jump up to be that, um, and, and they can keep developing. I think they've gone to trade. I, I, If I was trading, I'd only try and get diamonds in the sand. I wouldn't try and get big names. I'd go to the draft, um, develop, and put and put some extra resources into the development. Rocket, last one from me, but it's, it's always obviously been a big uh, topic of conversation over the last few months. But where do you stand on a on a Tasmanian AFL team, and should it be a, a Melbourne club that that moves south, or, or what's your what's your stand? No, I think it's got to be a standalone team. I think Tassie's such a footy state that all the people there have got their own AFL team. So, so it was North Melbourne or Hawthorne or whoever relocated there. You'd only get a certain portion would support them because it's not a Tasmanian team. And if they called the Tasmanian Hawks or whatever they were, it wouldn't be the same. So there has to be a standalone team. Um, and I applaud the Premier for standing up like he did and not calling their bluff, but being strong. And they've obviously got to, to the negotiating table with the presidents, which will be another big hurdle to overcome because with all due respects and, uh, to them, they're going to worry about their club, and so they should, uh, about the cost factors and does it... Does it drain any more money out of the game that they won't they won't have? Um, but I, I think it's the best way to go to get the standalone team. That's a nineteenth license. We'll get a nineteenth license. Um, I think it'll be self funding. I, I believe they've got a good financial model that they'll be able to stand alone. The North South Divide. I think they'll all jump on board as long as we get a good ground in Hobart. The Bell River was not a not a great ground to be honest. Um, as far as access, we can't. There's only one road in and out. Um, it's windy. Um, they can build that stadium they're talking about at Macquarie Point. It'd be fantastic. So, to answer your question, yeah, I think I think I think they could not only survive but thrive down there. And I think it'd be great for footy. And as finally, obviously, we've got one horse in this race, probably. But you got a Brownlow tip and then a Premiership tip. Um, well, it's probably Bontempelli v Oliver um, for me. Um, uh, he's had a great, great uh, year, Oliver. Um, he's really bounced, dropped off a bit the last few weeks, but you never know. I mean, can the umpires get the decisions right? How they're going to vote? So it's always a worry for me. Um, so it's a big enough job for them to do. I probably thought they'd done in cheap facetiously, but, <laughs> but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tough job they've got then to be able to to vote on that. Uh, so, but I reckon those two are the favourite. The premiers. I think the competition's really even, and I don't say this nicely. I think the competition's dropped a bit, so therefore some teams have improved at the top ones. So it's Constantina, and I think we'll probably get that more and more. Uh, for me, I think Melbourne. I think Melbourne can win it. I, I this Giants and Sydney whoever wins that may cause some trouble, but I don't think they can win it. It's too too hard an ask. I don't know whether Brisbane can. I don't know if Port can. Um, but playing at home suits them. But I think the Demons, you know, they've got everyone available. Um, they're, they've got a really good midfield. Um, so, um, yeah, they're my team at the moment. Rocket, the, pre- 
but I'll change it. I'll be changed if they get beaten. <laughs> well, I can appreciate your time, Roy. It's very generous, and uh, thanks very much uh, for that. And also, well done with the, the development of Cooper at, the, uh, at his infancy. It's uh, bearing yeah. fruit. Yeah, yeah. We'll keep following him, boys. I know you will. He's a really good lad, and um, he will take uh, certainly mark of the round at some stage, and hopefully mark of the year. So uh, he'll be he'll be a, a joy for the Saints supporters. Well, Daniel Cherney is not just the man in the body paint from the 2010 Grand Final uh, in the crowd, but also a fine reporter as uh, uh, covering all things footy with the age and um, certainly very prolific in his coverage of the game and also a passionate Sainter, as that first point well demonstrates. And uh, joining us as part of our season review as we look at not just what has happened, but what might happen next. St Kilda have been extremely active in the off-season the last two years. Can we expect something similar? Certainly in the outbounds, it looks like there'll be a couple, but will there be some coming the other way? Dan, thanks for, for jumping on. Oh, great to be with you guys. I've been listening a lot the last couple of years and uh, you, you do great stuff, so pleasure to be with you. Now, obviously, you're, you're supporter slash journalist. Um, I guess from both of those points of view, how do you assess the year? Is it the same assessments on, on, on both fronts? But what do you make of 2021? Uh, look, I think broadly speaking, yes, it's a similar assessment. Uh, I think while I still, you know, I'm unashamedly uh, a Hilda supporter, you sort of, I think once you start, you know, I look back to, you know, you laughed about the about, uh, 2010 grand final, but um, you become less and less... Probably less, I personally become probably a bit less passionate or, or more, more to the point, probably take a more of a dispassionate view um, just because it's the lens you sort of have to look through. I mean, you know, you, yeah. you guys would be the same um, to an extent. But, yeah. but um, look, I think over – I suppose it is from a St Kilda um, supporter's perspective, maybe the feelings just are a bit sharper. So they the same sentiments, but the feelings are a bit sharper. But I think broadly speaking, uh, it's been a poor year. Uh, it's hard to it's hard to argue otherwise. I think the first ten rounds were diabolical. Um, probably even then, you could, I suppose, given the Adelaide game debacle, uh, was also very poor. So I, I think I, I, I tweeted after about round when they lost to West Coast late in the season. It was the first loss where I felt it hadn't been maybe since the Melbourne game in round two where they, where they played okay, but it would never really in the game. And Melbourne proved, proved to be a very good team, but that was the first loss since right at the start of the year where um, they had been, you weren't left with a completely empty feeling mm-hmm. uh, or, or, or you could sort of take some positives from the game. I mean, you always find very small positives from, from every game, but um, for the most part, the loss, they just lost too many games in just a shocking manner for what, some of them were big losses. And obviously there were four of them in the first 10 rounds, which were just, which just proved very early that they were well off the pace. I mean, you just don't lose, I think it was probably by the Port Adelaide game that you thought, no, this is just, this isn't working. You can't lose three games so heavily. And then, you know, they sort of came back a bit with uh, the next few weeks. You know, the Geelong game was maybe a crossroads. The first Geelong game, had they had they managed to, you know, managed to kick straight really and, and a few moments had gone their way. They, they might, you know, they get to five and four and might have gone the other way. But uh, I suppose then the, the Bulldogs, you know, uh, just absolute destruction in round 10 was really should have been it was effectively curtains uh, stunningly in some respects um they came back in the back half of the year and it probably just because of the the concentration of teams on the ladder between seven and or really seven to 18 or maybe seven certainly seven to 17 or 16 17 uh the saints were still a chance you know obviously right up until the penultimate round 
Um, but realistically, you, you're just not going to make the finals with 10 or 11 wins and a percentage of, you know, just over 90. They did well to come back. And I thought in the back 10, you know, it's probably close by. I think they only really played one stinker, which was against Carlton. They had some, you know, frustrating losses to Long, Port Adelaide, even West Coast to an extent. Um, but, they, they, you know, they probably only played one stinker. So if you look at the post-buy form, there's, a, there's plenty to like. But I still think those first half of the year concerns, you know, it, it, it's just not that long enough, long ago enough to be completely um, completely comfortable with it all. So, they're, look, they're at, a, they're at a crossroads. You know, 20, I mean, 29, 2020, it was, it was a great year. Um, there was a, I think Cal Toomey actually said the same, last year was a bit like 2020 footy, as in, as in like cricket, but footy, um, where they, in shorter games, they weren't quite as, um, you know, maybe they, maybe they got on, they, they ran teams off their legs and, and, and were able to get away with that sort of, Ryder Marshall um, tandem duo plus, um, you know, the great work of, of all the smalls uh, and the pace and the, perhaps they were caught out. But look, ultimately it was a failure of a season when you go in and you top up. Um, and I was I thought it was a bit disingenuous from the president, Andrew Bassett, midway through the year to say that, that 2022 was the year. I just thought that was pretty ludicrous. You just don't go and chase James Frawley and Sean McKernan, both of whom end up playing their last games in that Bulldogs game, coincidentally. Um which is probably the line of the sand, so to speak, other than the Adelaide game is probably the other one. Um, you just don't go and get those guys if you don't think you're a serious crack because ne- they were never going to be stars. They were only going to be senior depth and you don't bring in senior depth like that if you don't think you're well in the win- you know, well in the mix for at least a top six spot. So that, that, that's my view. I, I agree with you on that uh, that email from from the president mid season. I I, uh, I remember that vividly, and, and I remember seeing you at one of the presses at, at Moorabbin and, and having that discussion. That it was just a strange strange timing for that that piece of media to come out and, and that, that and that comment. But um, I guess before we start on you know what we need to get better at and, and where we're heading, I guess what was you know, speaking of of the frustrating year and, and that diabolical first half as you said what's what's your low point of the season is it is it the Essendon loss in in round three is it the Bulldogs you know demolition is it the capitulation against Adelaide or is it that Carlton game you know towards the end of the year <laughs> there's so many to choose from um well <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> is, it, is it something else there are plenty of others too <laughs> yeah, yeah, look it was as, as, as when you're sitting on the you know sitting on the couch or in the stands as some kills supporter this year, there were a lot of, as I said at the start, there were a lot of really low points and really frustrating games. I think it has to be the Bulldogs game. Like, you know what it was? I mean, I just went that night. I would probably go, you know, a handful of times a year, just to, well, not last year, but this year, um, you know, with, with, um, with my dad, uh, just, you know, being able to just go as, as punters and enjoy the footy. And I remember going, it's funny that, that night, <laughs> I think I, well, there's a sort of a funny sidebar to that night in that the um, the Frankston Packenham and Cranbourne lines were all down that night. You might re- remember. Um, so <laughs> they do. so it there was, was an incredible. All around. It was a nightmare. So there was incredible. Thankfully, I'd seen that advertised beforehand. So it was, but there was an incredible concentration of some Kilda fans therefore on the Sandringham line. Um, and I remember getting on a Balaclava station and like there's sort of a sense of oh, last week was frustrating. Was a sense of optimism and you know they can get it together and. Um, and then it was just so, I just, I mean, right from the start when McKernan shanked that kick and then I think um, was it Burns who, who shanked one as well. I think that, that had to be the low point because 
you know, every everyone packed up at three quarter time, and I was my dad wasn't going to hang around. I wasn't going to hang around by myself. Um, so we we uh, we, we went and he saw. It felt like he saw a third of St Kilda's membership on the train early, and you, everyone was just shaking their head and just couldn't believe how bad how bad it was. Um, I think it's that. Um, the other one was the Adelaide game, which was I think three weeks later, also Saturday night. And it was an, you know, they sort of scratched their way to the wheel. I mean, Kansas is always a bit like that, isn't it? But they scratched their way, but you just couldn't. But, and then it was such that night, probably the last 45 minutes, you could see it coming. Yeah. And it went right. Adelaide actually didn't take enough of their chances, but it was right down to the wire. And then, the, you know, the Philthorpe, Philthorpe goal. And then all the stuff that came out in the aftermath of that, um, you know, some of the, it was contentious sentiment to say the least, you know, with, with Membry and Ross. Um, you know, they had that, <laughs> I mean, they had that, um, that uh, members forum where it was, um, it was left lean, uh, Ratton and Rath. Credits mm. them for fronting up. And, I, and that's one thing I will say at the club this year, they have fronted up, you know, Bassett Roach for members. Le, you know, I think Leth has fronted up on that um, Monday, which we, we were both there, Nick, uh, yeah. after that loss to the Bulldogs. But, um, but you know, you sort of tuned in, it was, looked like, I mean, you know, it's not, in the respect flip it, it looked like a war crimes tribunal. You had these three guys all sitting up there with these glum faces, and it was very sort of somber. But um, and I, w- I remember going to that Richmond game, and you're thinking, this this season that, that you know it could completely fall apart from here. Um, but credit to them, and it, you know, I suppose in one, one respect it adds to the frustration. But credit to them, they did turn it around. They got hope back. They they fought out. They, they ensured their season. You know, it was fought out certainly to the penultimate round, and then in the last round, they they still played a key role in, in shaping the finals. So, um, yeah, you know, there were redeeming features, but I think I think the low point, I'd say, the Bulldogs marginally ahead of Adelaide. Essendon was really a shock. Like I remember leaving that Essendon game, you're like, oh shit, where did that come from? And then Richmond and Port was sort of signs that it was just this is really it's really toxic here, and it's um they're going to need to seriously turn this around, which they, they didn't really in the end. So, firstly, the list is as it is currently. We've seen, well, we've heard that Dunstan's not going to be offered a new contract. We're not sure about Seb Ross. Today, we've heard that Billings may have been offered a four-year deal. So, what are your predictions or anything you could give us an idea of what you've heard might be happening or what, what where, where do you think we'll go into next year with what we've got currently? It's a good question. Um... I mean, clearly they've already. Well, the, the, the list was already a few short because they only, you know, they had five spots and they only took I mean, a lot of long-term injuries. But they only took two in the mid-season draft. Obviously, one of them was, looks looks like a steal at this point. And um, and you know, Max Heath is a fair bit of optimism around, although he's he's obviously very raw. Um. Uh, you know, so they've already got rid of Carlisle, Carlisle McKernan, Frawley. Um, I'm missing someone. Uh, Dunstan looks like so. Robert and retired at the start of the year. Robert, yeah. Robert and retire exactly. Um, so that's a fair bit um, already out, and uh, you know, I, I think it's good that they've re-signed Connolly and Sharman and, and Wood. Probably showed enough. Keep going. Mm-hmm. Ross is fascinating, um, and so so too is Billings. I mean, I think Billings is a Billings has more upside still than Ross. I mean, he's an eternal. Ross can be a frustrating player, but Billings is in some respects the eternal tease, especially since he's so he's so good at starting the season well. Yeah. And obviously, yeah, his, 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 his body um, what wasn't right this year. I mean, he, he was he was only just he wasn't even that great last year, but but he sort of did play his role and 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 
he's he's clearly AFL standard, but I don't think he's going to be a. He's not going to be. He's, he's probably never going to be the superstar that we might have hoped. He's just sort of a a good ordinary player um, who has occasional very good games. You know, if he's your fifth best midfielder, I mean, he does have a bit of a point of difference. Um, just a bit craftier than your average player, and and um, but he, um, you know, I think I think. Look, if it, as long as the money is not too, as money, as long as the money is not excessive, four years is a, is a lot. But you'd imagine if they're giving him four years, it's 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 with the you know on the proviso that the money's not going to be silly. Um, I don't know that what the, the money is. I mean, Cal Sumi reported that today. I think, and, and you know, generally gets very very good mail generally. Um, so I, I have no reason to suggest, to think that that's not right. Um, and I suppose the the thing about buildings is. You're, you've, got, you've got to view it through the prism of what would you get free agency wise, and I don't think they're ever going to get. Just the, no one's going to pay him. Maybe a year ago they might have, or two years ago. Uh, you know, if he if he'd sort of if he never sort of managed to string together a, a, an ascension that made him, you know, would have pushed him into sort of a, an A grade talent. But he's just, you know, he's been probably his best has been A minus. Um, he's probably a B play, you know, a B grade player. Uh, you know, over the course of the season, so I suspect that gets you sort of B grade compensation if you, if someone was going to pick him. Is it worth it for a second rounder, or are you worth getting Jack Billings, who's um, you know has until this year been pretty durable, um, and even this year, you know, he battled through injury, he's been pretty durable. So I would, I think he, you know, I think he's in, my, I think he's still in the best twenty-two, um, and as long as the money's not silly, I, I don't hate it. Ross, you know, Ross has probably got to the point a bit like. Not quite this to this extent, but he's a little bit of the, in the sort of Jack Nunes category when, when Nunes was a couple of years ago. Um, I, you know, I suppose they still were always a bit associated with each other and obviously being the same draft. And Ross is now you know, a couple of years older than Nunes was then because it's the same draft. Uh, I think I can't I can't get a read on that one. Um, I, I, I feel like you know they're, they're, it's going to be a wait and see. Um, although his management stable tended to be a bit. Generally, a bit quieter. His, his manager Alex McDonald doesn't doesn't tend to give much away, so often things do sort of pop up out of the blue there or late. Um, I don't think I'd be sad to see him go. I'd be sad at one level in that he's been, you know, he's been a loyal servant. But the problem has been that six of seven St Kilda Best and Fairest awards before Jack Steele last year and probably this year were won by either um, Jack Stephen or, or, or Seb Ross. Neither of whom have ever been all Australian. Stephen might have been once the Australian squad, but neither. But you know, um, they're just the the players who have who have sort of you know stood out amongst pretty mediocre average sides, um, and they're not going to they're not players that are going to win that are going to that can be part of a Premiership team, but they're not going to players that are going to drive you to be a Premiership team. Um, so you've really got to weigh it up. And I think if they can get if they feel like they get some sort of compensation, you go for it. The other thing is with Ross is there's just so many players on the list like it. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I think Billings has at least got a, a, bit, a couple more gears. Um, but, you know, they've brought in, you know, Gresham's going to come back. Gresham, Gresham does have the upside, although he's, he's almost, you do worry about it with his body now. And, and he's gotten to the point where, what's this, he's done, you know, it's going to his seventh year. So it really is time to, to start, you know, do it delivering consistently. Um, but, which he sort of did for a bit and then sort of ebbed and flowed a bit. Um, but, you know, they've got Steele. They've got Crouch, obviously, for the long haul. Um, obviously, they got rid of Dunstan, which probably leads you towards Ross 
perhaps staying, but they've still got um, Vitel. Uh, it's just it's just very one. You know, Jack Jones is, is a bit different, but he's still he's still in, you know he's still can be an inside player. So he's got sort of the inside outside, which is disposal with him down. But um, yeah, I, I'd be I'd be not upset if, if if they let Ross go. But by the same token, if he if they give him a one or two year deal on on re on, on sort of modest money, I don't think that's terrible either. Especially given that they've let Dunstan go, and Dunstan's probably a a bit of a hard core, um, but it's also like we've seen this all before with Luke Dunstan, and mm-hmm. you sort of there are times you think, and I, I thought it was quite telling that his best footy in the middle of the year was played on heavy tracks um, against not particularly, you know, where, where where his lack of pace and lack of skill were less exposed. He's a he's a good player, and so he can be a very good player within a certain in certain parameters, but it's a pretty narrow set of parameters. And you and you've got Jack Steele and you've got, you know, Vitell we hope can, you know, kick on. I mean he hasn't really kicked on this year, which is a bit of a shame given that there were opportunities there for him. You know, I suppose when you think that Jones and Gresham were out in Hanbury, obviously. Um Burns is sort of, I suppose, in some respect sort of catapulted himself ahead of Vitell. I know they're different players, but both sort of young midfielders and, and Connolly off half back. Um, yeah, and then in terms of what else they do, um, I, I think they're, they're clearly going to look for. Uh, I think it's probably two areas on the ground where they're still going to look because they feel like they've got. While the midfield mix is not is not ideal, still not not ideal. They probably. I think the pieces are there if they come together. Whereas the forward and back, I think they look. Hayden McLean's the name that's been bandied about. I, I, it makes a lot of sense. You know, Sandringham Dragons. Um, you know, on the fringe at Swan, the you know ruck forward. Um, I mean, he, I think he could. I mean, he's sort of been Buddy's understudy this year, and obviously Buddy's not going to be around forever. So if he, if he hangs around in Sydney, and, and their ruck stocks aren't, you know, aren't great because you know Hickey's getting on as well, and and um, Naismith's you know always injured, and, and Sinclair is pretty much cooked. Um, I think, I think he would be a, a pretty good pickup. Like he looks, a, he looks a very competent AFL player, and someone who you could see in the long run and either playing as the as a third forward or what, or effectively replacing, you know, in some respect, replacing Ryder. I mean, Ryder, we've seen this year is irreplaceable in, in many respects. And the other thing I think they're going to look to um, is uh, defensively. I still think they, they they don't quite trust everything down there. Like, you know, clearly that they're still not, they're still a bit iffy about Darrow Joyce. Like they haven't quite made up their mind. Um, Carlisle's done, obviously, for all he's done. Uh, Highmore's looking promising, but I think another intercept player, is the type of player that they would look for. I, I wouldn't be shocked. I'm not saying this is the player, but I think also someone who, a defender who could potentially pinch it in the ruck. Someone, and he's a limited player, and he's sort of, in some respects, he's got the McKernans about him a bit younger, is, is someone like a Tim O'Brien. I don't think they're necessarily going to go after him, but I think he's the type of player that if they can get on the cheap, they might just look at. Um, uh, yeah, but I, where, is the, is, I still don't know if the list is good enough to contend. Like, Clark sort of stagnated a bit this year. Um, obviously, had the injuries, but he didn't, even the first half of the year, like he didn't show anywhere quite, to me, he didn't show quite what he what he did in 2020. Caulfield clearly, he, he regressed sadly and then had injuries as well. So you, you do you do worry there. Um, I mean, Max is the big upside. You know, Max looks like he's ready to take the competition by storm and, and all that. I suppose you know, I was as guilty as anyone, but all those concerns mid-season, you sort of think, oh, what, what, were we, what were we worrying about him? And he's, he's a special player, and provided he stays fit. Um, 
and doesn't completely get the hole taken, you know, by the yips, he's going to be he's going to be a gun. And there's some other good pieces there. And you know, if you get Gresham back and you get a full season out of Zach Jones, it's, it, there's, there's there's a fair bit still to like um, if Connolly and Sharma kick on as well. But is it a premiership nucleus uh, right here right now? No. What is it going to take to get you to that? Well, it's going to take improvement from guys on the list right now, and then a couple of you know, it's probably three or four really good, you know, really nailing your draft picks, which they have they haven't been too bad at probably since about twenty seventeen. I mean, obviously the McCartan Billings era was you know rough, um, and and even the few <coughs> years before that when I did when they did as many picks. Um, anyway, sorry, I've I've, I've read it, rattled on there for. A, few minutes, but um, I'm sure you have follow-up questions. Um, I guess just on, you, you mentioned the intercept defender, whether Josh Battle could be that player. I know that there's been some talk in the last 24 hours that some clubs are fishing around, and I can understand that, mm. but his lack of, um, I guess, a solid position. Uh, on the Ross situation, I kind of see that as a, yes, you need to move players on around about that sort of level of their career, but you can't move too many honours, say Melbourne saw 15 years ago, when you can remove too much of your depth and, and therefore lose that competitiveness. But within the draft, obviously, we've got two academy players we're keeping an eye on. You can't bid on academy players if they are bid on in the top 20, if that makes sense. So you can't match that. And you've got young Owens, who looks a good midfielder. He'd be floating around the end of the first round and Windhager, the other as well. Uh, we just need a bit of luck and, and maybe, yeah. maybe the absence of footy could conceivably help and that they haven't been able to skyrocket up the list like they would have on form. So combine them with Max Heath, that might help in terms of getting those three ready-made draftees in plus Sharman before you've used nine or whatever we've got in the draft. So Mm. I guess, do you, do you feel we'll just take that youth approach or is there an outside chance where we go after Talia for defensive reinforcement or we go after Parker with, with the thoughts that, that maybe he's gettable from the Swans? Both good questions. Um, I think I think what we saw in the first half of the year, and even as we've seen in the back half of the year, with particularly with Connolly and Sharman and, and, and Burns too, really, um, is that it's a the, the youth is where there is genuine upside. And I, I like I, I think they've just they've got very hard at topping up for a couple of years, and it's just hasn't it's sort of worked to an extent. Um, you know, like Dougal Howard's become very. You know, he battled at times this year, but you know, overall he's been a very good pickup, and obviously you know, Ryder, um, and then Zach Jones when fit, um, heals another matter. But uh, I think well, someone like Talia does. Talia sort of is 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 not a bad idea because I don't you, you wouldn't have to give up anything for him um, other than cap space. Parker, um, you know, likewise, but you know, I'm sure money is a big factor there. Um, and I just don't, I just highly doubt we'd have the money to do it. Um, I just can't think of how we would have the money given who we've brought in, um, in, you know, over, over, over the last few years. Uh, and, you know, we know certainly in the instance of, in the, in, um, in the case of, um, of Hill isn't come cheap. Now, Hannibury has, um, has, you know, said he's taken a, a pay cut. Um, Carlo would have been on a quite, bit. So. Sorry? Carlisle might have been on a bit. Carlisle might have been on a bit, although that was the last year. I suspect yeah. these, these extensions probably wouldn't have been that much. Look, it, it, it's, it's always hard to know, and there are always ways to move around money, But and they've locked in Max on a long-term deal. You'd imagine a very lucrative long-term deal. Um, so, yeah, it's it's interesting because you've got – you just you just don't want to 
um, leave yourself open to to being picked off later. And I just don't think Parker. I don't think Parker's what we need. I think we have enough. You know, Parker's a very good player, has been a very good player. But oh, someone was saying, I saw a tweet the other day, which really resonated. Like, he's only 28, but like those are Sydney midfield years. Yeah, like, mm. we you just we know we, we have our own very uh, live um, um, example of how ba- how 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 banged up you get playing in the midfield for Sydney for over fight over constant finals campaigns, um, uh, in, in the form of Dan Hanbury and I suppose maybe to a lesser extent Jones, although that's more soft sort of soft tissue stuff. Um, not that Hanbury isn't, but um. So I, I, Parker's not the player I would be. I would be going after. He, I, I just don't think they're right in the window where they, you know, how many how many elite years does Parker have more? Is he what? Is he even elite now? I think he's very good. Is he an elite player now? Actually, like, who does he replace in the twenty-two? And who and who when when you bring him in, who's he stopping from getting a game? I, I I just don't think that's the priority. I think the priority has to be if you're right in the window, hundred percent. But they're just not right in the window, so they have to be more cautious otherwise you, you open yourselves up to a big hole down the track churn something we get asked about on, on the socials a fair bit but adam chera is obviously a, a much younger version of that midfielder that that has become available in the last few weeks um there's all those stories around him and the relationship with ross Lyon, who it looks like will be the next carlton coach um and you know, Chair has been rumoured to be going to Carlton almost all year. Um, is is there any shot? Just one one of the questions we get asked: Is there any shot that that we could swoop in late with a, with an offer for Chera? Look, I've heard nothing to suggest. I've heard nothing to suggest. Yes, um, it seems like he's going to Carlton, um, and it'll get done. Um, you know, they've got drafts. They've got draft capital. Um, Interesting. I'm not sure how, uh, their cap is interesting because they 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 have paid a lot. You know, they have brought in a lot of big name players, and then they've also brought in and then they've you know got their own stars that they've needed to lock away on on Bitcoin and got Sam Walsh coming out of contract. So, um, look, I don't think so. I don't think I don't think he's a primary target. Uh, you know, if it got to an impasse with Carlton, you never know. Um, but I don't think I've, I've heard nothing to suggest yes. Um, and in the absence of that, you just got to assume no. <laughs> so, just to finish off, if you think about the one thing that you say that is the absolute that we need to have before we go into next season, what would you say that one thing would be? It's a good question. Um, I actually think it's it's get our get our training. So, to use a Tomoism, get our training services right. Like, I just, you know, that you're just not going to compete when you have 29 fit players to pick from and several of your, you know, several of your best players missing most of the season. Now, some of them were unlucky, but and some are just generally injury prone, including, you know, the guys that they brought in to Frawley and McKernan, um, and obviously Hanbury. But I think they've just got to be fitter. I don't, I don't, it didn't look like they were fit enough. I, I, I just think they were getting so consistently done on the outside. Mm. They will defend it, but the fact that they've moved on, um, Matt Hornsby, makes me think that they might have realised this just isn't, just wasn't working. Um, I think more than anything, that's it. Because last year they were, last year most of the guys, most of the key players were available for most of the season. Aggression missed a bit, but back end of the year, Hanbury obviously. Um, I might be missing one, but you know, felt like most of the core in 2020 were playing and playing every week. Whereas this year, like. 
you look at who Jack Steele's had to work through in the midfield with, it's been a revolving door. Um, the back line was a revolving door. Um, you know, really, what you know, you know, there's one week as Carlisle, this week as Frawley, then there's Joyce, then it's Highmore, and they just you just didn't couldn't, couldn't quite. And that's also a, a product of a poor form, but there had been injury as well, and and also probably not knowing what which where we were at list wise, but um, and, and up forward, um, you know, Max obviously had a couple of concerns late, but um, and and, and Tim played, you know, memory played pretty much might have played, I think, just about every game, but uh. Yeah, I think it's the continuity. You just need continuity. Um, and the biggest thing would be a fit Ron, Ron Marshall and Paddy Ryder all year, and not being, mm. you know, no, <laughs> no, um, no, no, uh, errant trips to the precinct or anything like that. Um, and but you know, with Ryder, how would you, you know, you, you can't be optimistic about Paddy Ryder staying fit. You just can't. I mean, the bloke's going to be thirty-three. Mm. Um, I think he's going to go on, but he's thirty-three and and banged up. And even though Ruck can, can tend to sort of, I, th- I think. What we hope, what the best we can hope for out of Ryder is a bit like what Shane Mumford's done this year. Mm. Is you know you play eleven to fifteen games when he plays, they're really good. But they got to have they got to have a backup plan that works because um, as it stands, it hasn't worked, uh, and you know, the stats are damning. So look, of, of all the things, I know that's sort of a silly. You know, I know it's just sitting on the fence, not giving a specific trade target. I don't think it's a particular type of player that we need. I think we just need to be we need to get fit. Um, and um, and then in the long run we need we need a ruckman, but but more to the point we just need we need our best team on the park every week. We just didn't have. Yeah, that's right. I mean, in reality, we had for the optimist, we had the toughest draw, arguably, and, and the worst injury list, and missed the finals by a game and a half. So there's room to move. Um, it's just yeah. how much room there actually is. But Daniel, thank you very much. Always appreciated, and um, hopefully we can read more of your terrific work, and hopefully. Uh, yeah, well, not hopefully. We definitely will obviously enter another season with optimism because that's what we do. But uh, thanks very much for your time. <laughs> no, pleasure, guys. As I said, great great stuff all year and uh, yeah, really, really enjoyed it. Daniel Cherney there joining us from The Age and you can catch all of his work. We look at the year that was and I guess the, the, the telling part from, from, from my view was, as we discussed a little bit with, with Daniel there, there are a few aspects of the season that are hard to understand. There are parts of it that, do make sense. Our conversion in front of goal struggled a little bit. Um, our ability to close out close games remains a problem. Um, cost us a spot in the finals. And we know a bit last year, we, we lost some games late in the year when we were trying to lock in our spot in the eighth against Melbourne and West Coast and, and the like. And we got very nervous against the Bulldogs in that final and we surrendered huge leads to, to North and, and Freo last year. So there are some issues in clutch moments that we need to work on. Um, and, you know, we know injuries are real. We know that the draw was hard and, and all of that stuff makes sense. That The losses to Essendon, Port Adelaide, Richmond and the Bulldogs in the first half of the year don't make a lot of sense. I'm still trying to get my head around why they went as badly as they did. We're not that bad. Yes, we were missing Ruckman in those games. And, yes, we've looked dysfunctional without Ryder and Marshall. But they're the ones that sit in the back of my mind thinking, well, how did it break down so severely? Maybe it's not as big a concern given they got it right after that and and apart from the Carlton loss, which should have been more than it was, we were actually pretty solid for the back half of the year. Um, To me, and I'll get your thoughts shortly, I always look at a season at the end of it as to who went forward and who went backwards. Now, the guys that go forward often includes guys that arrive at the club, so clearly they've made you better because they've come in. 
So I, I had a list of these from last year. Last year, I made a list of players that went forward and players that either stagnated or went backwards. And I've done the same for this year. Now, I'll start with the players that went forward on both years. In 2020, for me, guys that either had breakout years or came to the club and made us better. Caulfield, Jones, Steele, Clark, King, Loney, Butler, Ryder, Howard, Long, Battle, and Patton. I didn't include Brad Hill in that, even though he did come to the club and make us a little bit better. I thought he finished 17th or something in the best and fairest. And Battle was almost at the same level, but I thought his versatility last year was a key. This year, the numbers are quite the same, different players, but Crouch made us better. Hill actually made us better a bit this year. Steele again, King again, Higgins definitely. Burns, Connolly, Highmore, Vitell. Uh, even though they only to a small degree. Sinclair, career best year. McKenzie, career best year. Thought memory was very good. And I thought Webster was very good. So they're about the same. There's roughly 11 names on both of those lists. The issue I had was the players that either stagnated or went backwards last year. I thought memory last year was okay. Wasn't poor, but was okay. Certainly wasn't better than the year before. Savage obviously lost his place in the team. And Nathan Brown lost his place in the team and, and retired through the middle of that year. That's not counting guys like McCartan and, and Robertson, who were obviously non-existent due to being sort of partially retired or out of the system. So I only had three genuine players last year that, that stagnated for us. You could maybe put Seb Ross into that group. This year, the players that either stagnated or went backwards, sometimes due to injury and sometimes due to form, were Ross... Butler, Billings, Caulfield, Carlisle, Gresham, Ryder, Geary, Loney, Clark, Marshall, Long, Kent, Battle, Patton. Now, it's harsh on Marshall and Ryder. They're only there because they didn't play enough footy. Gresham's only there because he was injured. Patton's only there because he was injured. But we went from three or four to about 14, and that, to me, was the uh, the, the difference on the year. Uh, Nick, I don't know how you sort of surmised it all. Hundred percent, I completely agree. I think the, the the big difference from last year to this year was that so many of our players regressed, and last year they all impressed. Um, this year we had so many players that took a step back for a, a variety of reasons, whether it was form and performance, whether it was fitness or health or injury or, or whatever that might be. But so many players took a step back compared to the level that we expected from them last year, and and I suppose. You know, we, we've spoken a lot about um, a lot of those players throughout the year and, and the reasons for some of those those regressions. But yeah, it goes to the first half of the year, you, you talk about the, the lethargy and the, the lack of intensity that we showed and whether that was a fitness issue, um, yeah, as, as alluded to by, by Dan Cherney earlier. or uh, and, and we've spoken about that throughout the year as well, whether that was a fitness issue, whether it was a mental issue, whether it's a leadership issue. Yeah, there's there's so many things that that went wrong in the first half of the year um, that that led into that, and thankfully, you know, a lot of those guys that that regressed did take a step forward in the second half of the year to some extent, but it wasn't enough to kind of rebuild the the regression um, that that we'd seen so deeply and so heavily in those first you know ten or eleven weeks of the season, and it was almost impossible to recover fully from from that. Um, which is ultimately how the how the season ended up for us as as a club. One thing that Dan kind of touched on as well was the whole 
players in, players out, players missing, just just not having that consistency in the team. You're running out every week with a different guy next to you. Um, that can have a big impact on a, on a player by themselves. So they're used to... When, when you've got the consistency of the... Say you break them up to 666, you've got that same six week in, week out, generally. You might have one drop out now and then and come back. And when you've got that six players playing week in, week out together, you build as a group and that group just flows together. That's one of the real things we miss this year. There's too many players coming in, too many players going out, missing the key player to a, a group at times. I mean, we, we start with Gresham in the middle, extracting the ball for us every week. And all of a sudden he's gone. Um, we had other players who like, we didn't even get Patton to start with who held down a defensive role last year. So we went straight into the season without him, without him being there. So it's just this whole, as Dan's saying, get the players right Get it, keep as many on the field for as long as you can, and we'll find that consistency. Consistency comes back, and that's yeah, what we really, really missed this year um, compared to last. And in the way of last year, we yeah, it, it was pretty clean year for us, but this year just killed us. We, we've spoken yeah. a few times about the you know, and we spoke about it earlier that the hardest fixture in the competition and the worst injury list in terms of you know, missing games of football and, and not just missing games of football, but you look at the quality of player that we missed. It wasn't like they weren't you know, players 16 to 30 on the list. They were top 10 players. You're talking about Ben Patton, who broke out last year and potentially the best small small defender in the, in the competition. Um, you know, missed all year. We're, we're talking about Jake Carlisle, who has been crucial to our structure for the last three or four years. Um, at centre half back, you're talking Paddy Ryder and Rowan Marshall, who we know are incredibly important to the way that we want to play, to the way that we set up at stoppage, to to the way that we set up our forward line, and the things that it allows Tim Embry and, and Max King to do. Um, we're talking Jade Gresham, who really, I mean, could be our number one midfielder. We've seen Jack Steele kind of break out over the last 24 months in, into that role, but you know, before before that. Um, that explosion from Jack Steele, you know, it was Gresham. Gresham was going to be our number one, you know, superstar midfielder. He was the next in line. Um, he spent the first couple of years up in, in the forward line, in the forward pocket. But as as he kind of got stronger and fitter and, and more powerful, even though he's a small fella, the, the ability for him to win the ball at stoppage and and, and win clearances and, and extract, like you said before, H., um, you know, he was he was almost elite at that level and, and just needed that that one more step, needed that that breakout season as an elite midfielder that should have been last year. And it was on that, was on that track and, and, you know, some really unfortunate injuries to, to Gresh, um, you know, kind of halted that, but the, these players that have missed for us, Jack Billings in the second half of the year. Um, and at times earlier, the way that he started the year was really promising as, as he has a, a number of times, but these aren't, you know, fringe players for our, 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 club these aren't fringe players that are in and out of the the lineup each week or, or rotational type players these are our elite guys these are the guys that impact week after week after week and you know should be should be top five top ten players every week um you know it wasn't just the amount of players that we missed but it was the quality of those players that missed every week 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, it was in, in most aspects of the, the game. I mean, we, we were missing either Ryder or Marshall nearly every week, sometimes both, um, even across half forward where, um, for example, Battle would, would step up and then lose form and get played somewhere else. And we'd play Mason Wood, who'd play for three weeks and get injured. Then McKenzie would come in and he'd get injured. Then Kent would play instead. And it would just be down and down and down the chain. And then uh, Higgins would go out of the side and then Butler would have to play a different role and they weren't working together or they'd work together for two weeks. And then then one would go out. And of all of the players, I know um, we, we've often spoken about, look, King looks like being an elite forward. Um, certainly our defence... Is solid. I mean, you wouldn't say that there's an elite player amongst that group, but they are very, very good, like Howard and Wilkie and, and Highmore. And I think Brad Hill's found his spot. I think he needs to play off halfback with that rebound run. He gets more of the footies, more creative. That's his spot, I think. Um, but in the midfield, so Jack Steele is an elite player. We don't have another elite midfielder. I mean, Crouch is very good, uh, but very, very good. So top echelon, but not absolutely elite. But we have two guys that can be elite. And one we miss more than anyone, and that's Gresham. Um, he's a huge player for, for us. And I think the two, he and, and Hunter Clark, are the, are the two guys that have the capacity to be, and, and Clark was a bit disappointing this year, but they have the capacity to be real silk players in the middle of the ground. And we could go from one to three. Uh, Steele, Gresham and Clark could be that. But we keep saying that with Hanbury. He's not going to be elite, but he's a very, very good player. It's just whether he's fit. We saw that he was good. He could have got votes conceivably on the weekend as well. So, um to me, and, and Marshall, obviously, Marshall played probably 12, 13 games. If you could give me a, a wish list, apart from Steele, who, who needs to be there, if you were to say three guys have to play every week for us, I want Gresham, Clark and Marshall fit, mm. and King would be the other one for, for obvious reasons. But our midfield with, with Marshall, Gresham and Steele as a starting point every week is very, very good. Um and yeah, look, Gresham is the classy. When I say the classiest player on our list, it's funny. I don't think he's the best kick on our list. Um, I don't think necessarily that he's the the best pure midfielder on our list. But mm. his ability to combine winning clean clearances, he's probably our best clearance player in terms of winning decisive clearances. He can also play forward, and he's very creative around the goals. He's our best goal kicking midfielder. Um, he's, he's an X factor. I mean, you yeah, look at exactly. look at what other clubs have, and they've got a Dustin Martin or a a Bont or, or whatever that is. And you know, he's not the same type of player. Clearly, he's you know three feet shorter than both of those guys. But um, you know, he is our X factor, and and we've missed that so dearly in the last year and a half. Yeah, spot on. And and if he plays all year, I, I think the difference he makes is that we would make the A. Um, and Clark, we just need to get him sort of settles into a into a role, whether be it midfield or off halfback, probably not halfback anymore. He's got to go to the midfield or on a wing or something like mm. that. But he was okay this year. I wouldn't say he was poor. He, had, he played some good games, but he wasn't as good as he was the year before and he wasn't as good as we thought he would be. And, and Marshall's a, a superstar. Um, so, yeah, if, 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 if there are five most important players. And I know Ryder is super important, but to me it's Marshall, Gresham, Steele, Clark, King are as, as important as, as we have. So that, that's sort of where I sit on it. And probably chuck one more in there as well, and that's Jack Sinclair. He, yeah, 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 yeah. He's taking if that you go, step. If yeah. you go back and have a look at the Carlton game, the amount of times you think that's where Sinclair would be, 
that's where Sinclair would yeah. be. The hole that he left in that game was massive. Yeah. And we saw it the week after when he was back, just going, that's what he should have been doing last week. It, it, it was amazing the difference, how the back line functioned when he was and wasn't there. He, he, has, he has become one of the most important cogs in the team, I reckon. And it, yeah, 22 games from him, uh, that's an almost required certainty that we need him there. Um, he's, he should, he's... he'll be top three in our, uh, in our BNF, I would have thought. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. Um, I guess from, from there, we look at targets, um, probably battle is worth a chat as well. Um, mm. as we're talking to Dan Shirney, there is some talk that he's been targeted. That it was clear from, from talking to some that he was, unhappy or frustrated with the, the way things were going. And I can understand that he, we need a spot for him. And a lot of people pointed out that um, would he play forward and has Shaman taken that spot? Would he play back with his Webster or Highmore taken that spot off him? Um, can he play as a tall wingman? Maybe, um, but we need to find a spot for him because if he just mm. floats, we'll lose him. Um, I think, I think he, yeah. I think he played his best footy as a defender, as kind yeah, of intercept yeah. tall. He, he he can play on a man, and, and I think yeah, you know, if you look at a traditional team structure, it's probably centre half back for Josh Battle. I think he he kind of plays that role a little bit like Goose Maguire did back you know fifteen years ago, um, sixteen years ago, I guess. But um, you know pl- plays his best footy off off a man. Um, and and can really be creative and and run out of halfback, but but can also you know sweep across and and take those intercept marks. I think that's how he played his best footy in in twenty nineteen, um, and obviously has the ability to to swing forward and, and impact you know the, the the scoreboard you know if we need him to for for a quarter or or whatever. Um, he has that ability, but I think he he dearly needs a, a position. We we spoke about continuity, and and you mentioned that not from just a, a team perspective, but from an individual perspective, H, that you know, if you give him a position and say, this is your spot, um, clearly there might be times when we have to move you forward or we've got to put you on a wing or whatever, but your centre-half back, this is your spot. I think that he can really thrive in, in that type of role and, and take some of the pressure off Dougal Howard, Cal Wilkie in terms of taking some of those, those bigger guys. I mean, Dougal Howard's a really solid fullback. He's a really good fullback defensively, but his issue is with ball in hand. We, we know that. Um, as long as he kicks long, I'm happy. But, but when he starts you know, these kind of you know, 10, 15, 20-meter chip passes you know, across the face of goal and um, into, into congestion, then you know, there's a worry. And, and having a, a guy who's a really good ball user like Josh Battle in the back half would, would be really valuable. And, and he's a big boy. He can run, he can get across the ground. He reads the ball really well. You know, he's got a high footy IQ. Um, he, he's got all the tools to be a, a really good center half back in the mold of a, you know, a, a Darcy Moore or a Jeremy Howe or, or those type of guys, Stephen May even, um, in terms of reading the play and, and, and coming across to, to intercept and, and then be able to deliver really well you know, through the middle. Um, so I kind of see that as Josh Battle's position. H, what, what are you thinking? Yeah, that that no defined role is the biggest problem, I think, that he, if he has a team come to him that says, oh, this is, this is what we want to do with you and this is how we're going to play you and this is going to be your position, you wouldn't blame him for looking somewhere else. That's... 
that's what a player wants. They they want certainty. They want a job. They want a role. They want they want to know what they're doing week in week out. But and that's not really what we've done with him. We've sort of just, I guess, gone to him on selection night. And said, oh, okay, you've been thrown in and played in this position. It there's no. This is your position. This is your role. And when you're changing week in week out, you're not le- not improving the skills of that position you're playing in. You sort of just, okay, now I've got to try and do this better. or I've got to try and do this better. It's Unless we can go to him and say, this is who you are and this is what you're going to do for us, then, yeah, I, I, I don't know how much longer he's going to stick around. It's And you wouldn't blame him. So it'd be good if we can find a role for him because he has got so much to offer. But that's what we have to do. We have to find his role, not a bits and pieces person. I, I agree. Do you, do you feel like he's been, I guess, thrown in the wolves a little bit, Parco? Do you, what, what, how do you see Josh Battle? Yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, he became a sub at one point. like they couldn't find a role for him. So it was like, well, if one pops up, we'll just he'll come on and play it, whoever gets hurt or whatever it may be. Um, but, yeah, like most players in any sport would know that, you know, you're going to play defence for two weeks, then forward for three, and then midfield for three, and then back into defence. You just can't settle into any rhythm uh, whatsoever. Some players obviously handle that. You look at guys like Adam Goods, who was sort of a permanent utility. Um, it doesn't always, you know, some players like that sort of thing, but I think the majority of players like to be set and, and know each week what they're preparing for. And Battle uh, in 2019 played largely in defence. He then lost his spot in defence in 2020 to the point where he wasn't playing at the start of last year. Then we played him forward for most of the year. Um, and then, you know, he, was, he showed in that final against Richmond, we had a broken foot and, and could barely move and, and dragged us back into that game playing as a forward. I, I agree that his best spot has been defensively, but... Yeah, we, we haven't helped him at all, uh, unfortunately, and, and that needs to change because he's one of those guys that I think would star somewhere else. And, and it's interesting trying to find that role for him. Just as we were talking, I scribbled down at best 22 just off the top of my head if everyone was available. And there's some good players not in that team. So this was just – and people could pull that apart. But I went Patton, Howard, Wilkie, Webster, Highmore, Hill, then Clark, Hanabry, Sinclair – Half-forwards were Higgins, Membry, Gresham. Forwards, Butler, King, uh, Marshall. Rucks, Ryder, Steele, Jones. Interchange, Sharman, Crouch, McKenzie, Vitale. Now, the players not in that team are Billings, Burns, Geary, Caulfield, uh, Wood, Battle, Connolly, Loney, Long, Kent. Um, Yeah, so there's... But most notably, Billings, Burns, Wood, Geary, Field, uh, Battle, off off the top of my head, not in that lineup. So when you put it like that, it obviously and Ross not in that team either. So it leaves us in a um in a handy position if everyone's fit. But um yeah, difficult decisions. That makes that makes a lot of sense. I mean, Billings especially because he because he can play a a, a number of different roles, um and and. I mean, we know how likely is it that we get our best 22 on no, the park yeah, one week of the season, let alone every every week of the season. So there's always going to be roles. And, and we know that in, in today's football, it's it's hardly kind of um, structured the way that it looks on a on a team sheet. 
that you know center half back isn't center half back as it was 20 years ago um center half forward isn't center half forward as it was 20 or 30 years ago probably even as it was 10 years ago um and and the way with midfield rotations that if you're named on the bench doesn't mean you're not a good you know if if you're a midfielder named on the bench and not in the center or or not in the followers that that doesn't mean you're a bad midfielder it just means that you're part of the the midfield group um so there's there's plenty of talent there and and that's that's good it shows it shows the depth and and we spoke about this kind of pre-season that I think that there's a lot of depth in in that list but it's it's when you get you know 10 or 12 of that best 22 not healthy and and injured and then you get five or six of that next level also not fit and not injured and you're really scraping the bottom of the barrel um, and, and the last, you know, two or three players on the list every week, that's when you're going to struggle. Um, to, to, be able to, to be able to have Jack Billings and Seb Ross, you know, as kind of your next level tier players would be incredibly advantageous for us and, and shows how good that, that lineup could be. And yeah, Josh Battle, I, I really see Josh Battle's best footy as a defender and, and really in kind of that, that centre-half back spot. I'm not sure Highmore is, is a centre-half back. I'm not sure he's... He's ready to take the the monsters. You know, we we look at um, you know, teams like Geelong, Richmond potentially, and, and some of those other sides with multiple kind of big forwards. And, and I'm not sure that we're we're really set out for those guys. You know, especially having lost Carlisle and Frawley now, um, Robertson clearly could could do a role, but also wasn't suited to that specific type of kind of key defence. But um, there's a spot there. And whether whether we target someone like a Daniel Talia for depth, um, you know, I, I think would be valuable. You know, he's definitely on, on my kind of hit list. It's Whether it's him or, or another key defender, um, you know, at, at the cheap or in the draft or whatever, it's clearly a role that, that we need to fill and we need some more depth in that key defensive spot. And, and it kind of seems to me that we've got a guy that can do it on the list already. Um, mm-hmm. And, okay. you know, he's contracted. He's contracted. So... Give him the year. Give him centre half back and say this is your spot. We might need you up forward every now and then. We might need you to fill a, a role for a quarter on on the wing if we have an injury. We we know you've got the the skills and the, the you know the ability to do that if if we need. But this is your spot. Um, he, we've had players like him that have the ability to play across different lines before. We've had guys like Jason Blake and and that sort of thing. Jason Blake was a very limited footballer. You know, he didn't have a huge skill set, but he had the mindset that he could go out and play his role no matter what that role was. He had that understanding that he would play to the, you know, the best of his ability, as limited as it was, restricted as he was, that he would go and play a role every week, no matter if it was at fullback, whether it was in the ruck, whether it was in the forward pocket. On yeah, the and wing. Battle has more ability than Blake. Absolutely, and Battle's far more creative. But I think he needs that structure. I, I think it seems like Battle needs the structure to know what his role is every week. Um because he's not as limited as a Jason Blake. J- Jason Blake had you know, a couple of things that stood him out, that stood stood him out from the rest of the crowd, and that was kind of his work ethic, his running ability. Um, it wasn't about his skill level or his his football ability. Um, it was the work ethic and and the way that he ran hard and and presented and and did all those little things. Josh Battle's far more skilled, far more talented, far more creative, um, but he needs some structure in to be able to utilize that. I think for, for the best. Um, best uh, outcome for, for us as a footy club. Get in his mind, I guess, needs to be. This is what I've got to do. I, I've got to put myself uh, behind basically the club 
and give everything. Make make it look bleed for the bleed for the jumper. That, uh, I mean, we saw that two years ago. Probably, he he really threw himself about and just put everything into it, but it just kind of, I guess, fell away again. But that, as I said, that all comes back to knowing your role, being given a role, and feeling, I guess, part of the team. I mean, you're not going to, I guess, throw as much into it if you don't feel like you actually belong where you are. So that position, of, as you say, maybe a, a centre-half back or a, like a back pocket, because I mean, a lot of teams do play pocket calls, I guess. They play they play that set, like you've got your um, Kennedy and um, Darling. Both of them usually play quite deep. We don't have the big-bodied players to really go with two players like that. We have plenty of defenders, but we don't have that big, big defender that a lot of teams have. And that, I've, I've been saying for a while, that is the one thing that I think we need to change. We need to move away from looking at midfielders and that big backman is the thing that we need to be looking for. We, I, we haven't had a real true big defender. I mean, we've relied so much on these running defenders and the pack defenders, I guess, for so long now. And it just seemed to have been set in. And I reckon at the last one we had, I reckon it was um, thinking back now was possibly the likes of a uh, Luke Penny or something like that. It's going back a long time. With Max, Max Hudson was not a big defender. He brilliant defender, but he wasn't a big player. Um, and just thinking back to yeah, all these. Well, that one season, Fraser Garrick played at fullback. You know, second yeah. being yeah. Probably about no, as far I mean, back as you've got to go. Luke Penny, yeah, maybe, uh, was big, biggish. Yeah, like, as I said, yeah, Luke Penny would be the one that I'm thinking of. That's yeah. And before that, you go back to Shanahan, you go back to players like that, but we just haven't had these big defenders that a lot of teams generally have. Yeah. So I think Carlisle was reasonably big, but still, he was probably still in the same mould as a Hudson. It's something that I reckon we need to have a look at at some point. As as good as defender as Hudugal is, he doesn't have that, I guess, strength to go against your Hawkins and your other big forwards like that. So I've been thinking for a while now that that's probably the one place we really need to have a good look into. And I mean, Battle's not going to be that player, but he can definitely help out down there if we have someone like that. Yeah, and you want your interceptors intercepting like Highmore and, and Wilkie's very good at Wilkie's been pretty good one on one, obviously his game against Buddy, for example. But yeah, whether Talia, who's made a habit of doing that, doesn't mean Frawley played that role on Hawkins the first time we played Geelong this year and actually beat him in a game we should have won. Um, uh, which is ironically the I guess the only competitive game we played of the two that he was in and he was quite good in it. But um yeah, whether Talia comes on board as someone that can be that monster, which allows Howard to play on maybe the resting Ruckman and therefore Wilkie and, and Highmore and potentially battle can intercept. Um, and then you get the rebound from guys like Webster and Hill. And, but then Patton, um, does he come straight back in and, and how do they restructure their defence from there? And um, 
I guess the final one is on the current and probably a two-part question. So based on it, I, I sort of agree with Daniel that we might not be as active in terms of big-name trades. It might be more younger players to, to fine-tune around our current squad and, and get a bit of depth because we've drafted okay lately. Connolly, Burns, Vitale, uh, they all look pretty good for us. Obviously, Sharman. Uh, if we can get Owens and Windhager to go with Heath, then there's three generational or potentially next generation young kids to go with Sharman. And then if you get pick nine, whoever that is, completely separate from those academy players. So you end up with a first round draft pick plus those guys would be useful. Um, so I guess keen on anyone's thoughts on, on any other targets. But um, also, I, I guess, sort of rounding out. Um, what we were talking about before in, in terms of structure, what do we make of the the, the contracts in particular, like obviously Sharman and Connolly, good moves in terms of long-term prospects. Frawley was obvious in terms of going out. Carlisle's back's cooked and looked been a good servant. Um, hasn't been unbelievable, but been a, been a good servant, very good intercept marker in his day and, and worth acknowledging that. Um, plus, he's sort of, as a big name who nominated the club, sort of set the ball rolling a bit for others. And I think he can be happy with what he's done. Um, Geary, I guess the thoughts on that. Does he stay captain now that he's played on or stay stay co-captain or does that get entirely relinquished to Jack Steele, Hash? I think, I think it goes to Steele solo next year. Um... I guess there's still a role there for Geary. Um, I don't. I don't think you had him on your best twenty-two before, um, but that's where you're no. coming to being being a um, more mature depth. Instead of bringing someone in, you've already got him there. That that's basically mm-hmm. the way to look at him as how to play him next year. Um, if we need a bit of maturity in a small defender or whatever to fill depth, then we've got him. So um, he's obviously not going to be on a huge contract anymore. He's, um, I mean, if he played 10 games next year, I'd be very surprised. Um, It's been a brilliant servant for the club. That's as, I mean, you can't take any of that away from him, but yeah, I don't see him playing a whole lot more football for us, but if we have this injuries again, he may, and he actually is ready to go, then he's someone that you look at and go, you've got the experience. We need you out there. Um, It's, he can, yeah, even that forward, small forward defensive role that he's played very successfully a couple of times. That's, um, there's a couple of players that you go, yeah, well, you'd be wanting to put someone with the experience he's got on, onto him to, I guess, hassle to just yeah keep them out of the game because that running small for uh, small defender is one of the key to key positions of the, the game these days. So shuts one of them down, and as we've seen before, he can do it and kick goals himself. So it, it there's no point just turning around and going if you're not captain anymore, out you go. Um, yeah, definitely stick around for a little bit. And if he's got something to offer, then, yeah, you keep him in. You, you can trust him to play a role, and it doesn't really matter what that role is, whether it's as a small defender, if, if Patton's still no good early next year, if it's as a, as a small forward playing that kind of pressure pressure forward role, um, whether it's as a tagger, you know, run with type player, whether it's as as depth um, 
and, and leadership. You know, we know that that's something that, that we've lacked at times this year is, is leadership within the footy club, within the playing group. Um, you know, we already know that, that uh, we're, gonna, we're losing some experience in terms of Carlisle and, and Frawley, who's only been around for, for a year, but um, Dunstan, most 99% gone. You know, we've said that we're not going to offer him a contract. Um, you have to imagine if he doesn't get picked up and, and we're not able to, to fill some holes that maybe you offer him another year just to, to kind of keep that continuity. But, you know, the p- potential to lose Carlisle, Dunstan, Ross and Billings all at once is still there. Um, it looks like Billings will stay. We still don't know. There's not a whole lot of talk about Ross, but he's uncontracted and there's clearly been some interest from other parts of, of the, the league. So, you know, there is the, the potential for us to lose quite a lot of experience, um, big body strength um, and leadership, you know, on-field leadership that you know, is really hard to, to, to build and really hard to add into to a club um, in the short term. So, you know, especially with cuts to the, the football department and the soft cap and all that sort of stuff over the last 12 or 18 months that, you know, Jaron Geary on a, on a small one-year contract to, to add a bit of leadership, to add a bit of um, coaching experience or whatever as a, as a quasi-assistant quasi, quasi you know, assistant coach almost, um, that, that could be pretty valuable. So I wasn't surprised to see him offered uh, another year. Um, I expect that, you know, he... he probably, like you said, probably doesn't play 10 games next year. And if he does, then we've got issues again, either in, in depth or injuries or health or fitness, whatever. Um, but I think that he's still got a role to play within the footy club and, and there's still a, a place for him. Uh, you know, as a depth player, not as captain, I think you're right, H. I think that that's, that's Jack Steele's, um, you know, that that's his landscape now. That's his environment and, and he's proven. I was a bit uncertain about him at the start of the year when, when Gears was, was injured um, and worried about how Steele kind of takes that on, on his own, but he's clearly, um, yeah, no issues there. And, and um, yeah, I think, I think he gets that role solo next year. Yeah. I think it's a, a pretty fair assessment overall, but look, there's a, a plenty of reasons to remain optimistic, but at the same time, a lot of things they've got to get right. So we may, in fact, we probably will, check in again over over coming weeks as, as things update through trade periods and stuff like that. There's a couple of little celebrity chats that are floating around um, that, that we're hopeful to land uh, that will sort of bring you as they pop up over the next couple of weeks. But I guess that's a review of the season and a review of last week. And uh, we appreciate your listenership through the home and away season. Unfortunately, not a finals campaign. This one, it won't be our final show for the year because there'll be enough to talk about with trades and, and drafts and that sort of stuff uh, over coming weeks. But um, it's been a journey, not always a pleasant one, but, but certainly been an emotional roller coaster as it always is. And, um, yeah, we look forward to, to sort of staying in touch and seeing what the off-season looks like. As we head to 2022, believing, I guess, that we are still around the mark and capable of being a pretty good side if we can get it right. So um, fingers crossed they learn some lessons and, and onwards and upwards towards a, a big year. Desperate spoils. Mackenzie. King. Still.